Amen. Well, hey, this, this world is full of crazy things. It's full of a lot of things that don't make any sense. Would you agree? Yes. This world is full of some crazy stuff, and a lot of it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> yeah. Some of us woke up last Saturday to learn about a Kansas City Chiefs linebacker, Javon Belcher. He became the fourth NFL player this year to commit suicide. But what's crazy about this one is before he took his own life, he's a 25-year-old. He took the life of his 22-year-old girlfriend. And they have a three-month-old daughter that remains. Isn't that crazy? It makes a lot of sense to me. And, of course, I'm reading the news reports, and they talk about, gosh, we need to take care of, um, of course, we need to take a look at the football helmets, and people get concussions, and, you know, and of course, a lot of that's all true, but I just think, come on, let's, let's not neglect the human heart here, you know? She had been at a concert all night. He had been with another woman all night, so they come. Is it a surprise that they fight at 7 in the morning on Saturday? Sadly, the fight ends up in the death of both of them. It's crazy. Imagine if one morning you woke up and the entire city of Beverly was vacated. Just imagine if in, in one kind of fell swoop... Uh, that 40,000 people were gone. Well, do you know that um, uh, Syria, the Syrian battle, has taken the lives of 40,000 people since it started a year and a half ago? It doesn't make any sense to me. That is maddening to me. I don't understand why is it that 40,000 so far, and that's just so far. We, there's no sign of this thing slowing down in Syria. There's civil, civil unrest there. What about some of you just this last Friday? You attended a banquet for Amira, and we're trying to deal with the sex trafficking thing. How is it so that young ladies get caught into, not just young ladies, young men also, but specifically young ladies get caught up in this? It doesn't make sense. How is the human heart so wicked that, that this happens? I right, think about this very family that we have in the bulletin um, that we're kind of uh, slating as our extreme makeover Christmas edition family. I love these guys, and... Um, are there behaviors that need to change in the family? Sure. But also, when I hear their stories of trying to get jobs, trying to get work, being let go here, trying there, and I just think, sitting there home, I think, God, this doesn't make sense. Why can't, why can't it just work out for these guys? And of course, this stuff about life not making sense or just being so absurd and maddening at times is stuff that touches you too. You wonder, why did he, why did she die of cancer? We ask the question, why do I have this mental health issue or this physical health issue? Why? Why was my father unfaithful to my mother, you ask? Why did they divorce? Why did that touch me? Why my family? Some of you are asking about your vocation. Why, why is my career path so difficult, not clearly laid out, or it's not as rewarding as I thought it could be? Why am I unable to find my way? Some of you are asking. Why is my child acting this way? I've done everything right in parenting. I've done all the classes. Why is my child responding this way at this time? Why did he break up with me? Why did she break up with me? Why is this so painful? Some of the absurdity of life. Why? This is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. It touches you and it touches me. Well, we are about to read a passage from Zechariah, which is very much in tune with the craziness of life. 
And in fact, I actually think that as we look at this passage that is uh, very unlike everything around it, and it's a little bizarre, it's a little mysterious, that it's actually going to shed light on the things that don't make sense in our lives. If you're joining us just this first time in Advent, we are looking through this lens of Zechariah. He was a prophet, and he's writing in about 520 B.C., and uh, we are, he has so many prophetic insights about the coming Messiah, the coming King, that they're just wonderful to learn about. And that's what we're doing this Advent. And so today, I want us to go on a little trip into Zechariah's soul and in his mind and in what God gave him to share and say, okay, Lord, help me make sense of the things that don't make any sense in my life. Amen? So as Jim so wonderfully brought us to Zechariah 13, I'd like you to get there too. Zechariah 13, verses 7 to 9. God, help me make sense of the things that don't make sense in my life. Now, around this passage of Zechariah 13, and hopefully you are slightly disturbed by it because it is disturbing, as are the things in our lives. It's really strange because Zechariah is in the middle, he's got a, He's in the middle of a second vision here. Last week, we looked at, a, at a, one of eight visions that he got in kind of a first set. And now this is a second set of things that he's prophesying. And man, he's prophesying a lot of great stuff for Israel. And remember, this point in history is when Israel is coming back from Babylon to Jerusalem. They are repatriating Jerusalem. They're coming home. And, um, and so he is prophesying some wonderful things. He's prophesying. Uh, that the crops are going to go well. He's prophesying that um, God's determined to do good, that their festivals will be happy, that actually the nations are going to come. As Jerusalem gets reestablished, whole peoples will come to worship the Lord, that the enemies of Israel will be humbled and stopped. These are the things he's prophesying. In the middle of this prophecy, we get to this bizarre passage in verses 7 through 9. Read it with me once again. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Now, hold on. If that doesn't make you pay attention, I don't know what else will. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. What is going on here? God is awakening a sword. I had, I had Matt Schwabar bring me one of his, his little collection, one of his swords. But let's just, let's just not forget like what a sword is for. This sword has one purpose. And that's to take the life of another human, okay? This is its purpose. Is that right, Matt? I'm besides decorating your, your, um, your wall. Really, it's, it's made to take someone else's life, right? And here's God. This is the Lord Almighty saying, Awake, O sword, against my servant, against my shepherd. What's God thinking? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. What is going on here? Well, we need to remember a couple of things about prophecy. And the first is that there's always a couple levels that we can take it at, okay? There's a very contextual level, and then there is a kind of looking forward level. And this passage, that's especially helpful to know. So first, let's take a look at what was, what was Zechariah saying to the people of the day? And we know because of the context of chapter 13 that what he was doing was he was recapitulating what had happened about 100 years earlier. 
In other words, he is rehearsing. He's retelling the story of how about 100 years, 90 years earlier, Jerusalem had gotten taken by the Babylonians. And this is exactly what had happened. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares Lord Almighty. That was God saying, I've had enough with the kings of Israel because they are continually rebellious against me. And God did send his sword. The shepherd is the king, the leader of Israel. He sent his sword against them because they had continually disobeyed. And Zechariah is just rehearsing this. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And I will turn my hand against the little ones. God's plan was to, God allowed this thing to scatter because they had so, their hearts had gotten so hard to the Lord that he needed to kind of go into special action here. And this was the special action he took for Israel. He says, in the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. And that's exactly what happened. When the Babylonian people took over Jerusalem, about two-thirds perished, and Ezekiel the prophet prophesied a very similar thing. So two-thirds perished, either by famine or by the sword, and one-third got taken away to Babylon. Now, why would God do that? Well, let's look at verse 9. Why would God take the people of Israel to Babylon? Because this was his plan. In verse 9, it says, This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. And don't you know that the Israelites in Babylon, without their temple, without their ability to worship like they wanted to, started to long for the days of the Lord, started to long for the temple, started to long for, gosh, we want to be obedient again. It says, They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is our God. God did exactly what he needed to do to bring obedience to this people, to bring them back into relationship. At the end of that testing of Israel was relationship with God again, and Zechariah was just on the cusp of walking back into that special relationship. Now, do you remember Jesus references these verses, specifically verse 7. Do you remember why and when? Do you remember which part he said? Who knows? What part did he, what part did Jesus say in his own life? I know we've got some theologically inclined people here (laughs) and some people who know their Bible. What did Jesus say? We're a small group. Shout it out. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What point did Jesus say that in his life? So things were getting bad. Yes, sir. Bingo. Dalton, you're preaching my sermon. Hold on. Slow you down. Awesome. Let's get this man a Harbor t-shirt. They're back there somewhere. Okay. It's exactly it. It's somewhere, depending on Mark or Luke's gospel, it's somewhere between the Last Supper and uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, hey, strike the sheep and, uh, excuse me, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And it is totally in, and that's exactly what happens with Peter, is um, uh, he, um, it's, it's, it's when Peter kind of responds. So let, let, let's look at this. Mark, uh, Mark 14, 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Okay, so here's Peter's response that Dalton so wonderfully uh, put before us. 
Even if all fall away, I will not. Peter says, I tell you the truth. Excuse me, this is Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Peter. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Now, here's the thing. We take this prophecy at kind of its context. We learn about, you know, the fact that Zechariah was talking about Israel. But now, because Jesus speaks it and uses it um, the way he did, we can say, okay, Jesus, you're cluing us into something more here. There's something for, for us in these verses here. What is that? And I think that one of the things that Jesus has for us is he has a pattern for us regarding our trials, regarding all those things that don't make sense. He has something for us to learn from. And so we will, um, let us look at Peter's response here. Dalton was correct in, in, in having us look at um, how Peter kind of responded in this whole situation. <clears throat> the Luke version of the same instance says this, um, it says that Jesus said, Simon, which is Peter's kind of given name, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Okay, we have this gold and silver refining image that I'll get to shortly. Then we have this, this, this uh, thing that uh, Peter, excuse me, Jesus is saying, saying, um, hey, Satan's asked permission to sift you like wheat. Okay, I have the privilege of having a small son who watches Mighty Machines, right? Mighty Machines is a great show out of Canada, which is talks about different machines and how they work. And so I've learned about the combine harvester. It's really amazing what a combine harvester does. A combine harvester does what used to be done by hand, and that is separate the wheat from the chaff, right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, back then it was still done by hand. And so uh, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff in your life. Satan wants to do that. He says, I prayed for you, Peter, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brother's. Okay, you're going to get sifted. There's going to be some heat and pressure and trial in your life. I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. You don't walk away from this whole thing. And gosh, when you get through that tunnel, when you make it through the trial, it's going to be so you can comfort others. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, it says, we comfort others with the comfort we've received. And that was the goal that Peter was being called to by Jesus. <clears throat> And, of course, we know the rest of the story. And um, the story here, um, excuse me, so I'm a little disoriented. Forgive me. Thank you, Lord. He's good. Um, Yeah. Actually, can you guys just pray with me? Um, Holy Spirit, we love you. And um, I just want to slow things down even right now in my own heart. Um, And uh, we we just ask, Lord, thank you that you have a good word to, to share today. And I pray you just come out in a way that makes sense. And Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> the things that I want to pull from this this scripture are this, and. Um, are that the, the first thing is, with all these things that don't make sense, the number one is your, your trials have a purpose, okay? You can, you can rest assured with the reality that your trials have a purpose. And that purpose, God is relentless with you, he's relentless with me, and his desire is to identify for you the things that are impure, and he is just after you to do that. It's what he did to the people of Israel, and it's what he's doing with you and me. I just know it because I live through it every day, Right? 
And that's why this image here of, of, um, of fire is so powerful, this image of gold being refined by fire. Let me just read it again. I'm going to actually kind of move backwards through, through these verses. He says, um, you know, this third I'll bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. You know, the cool thing about this whole refining process is it actually hasn't changed a whole lot over thousands of years. There is a chemical process now to... to um, to refine gold, but it's just not as good as the real process. And that is, they actually apply heat up to 1,000 degrees Celsius to get gold to separate from silver. One thing they do, because uh, gold and silver are often found together, but also within each, like gold itself and silver itself, they heat it up to 1,000 degrees Celsius so that the dross, the impurities, rise up to the surface and can be taken away. I just, I just guarantee you that in any trial in your life, Now, whether it's caused by an external sin done to you or whether it's your own doing, God is after. He is after you and me, and he is after that impurity in our life. He's relentless with it. You know why he's relentless? Because your faith, my faith, your maturity, your walk with the Lord, that is more precious to him than any other thing. Let me go back to the Peter story, okay, as I kind of gather, recollect my thoughts, and please forgive me. Um, So Peter... He needed to be refined by God, didn't he? He needed to be refined by Jesus. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to sift you like wheat, or Satan's going to sift you like wheat, but the result is maturity at the end. What happens? Let's go through the Peter story, right? Does he, does he blow it that night? He sure does. He totally blows it. There's pride and there's fear in his life, and Jesus in his mercy exposes that pride and that fear. And he weep, it says he weeps bitterly after he denies Jesus three times. What happens after? Jesus, crucified, risen from the dead. He comes back to Peter. Peter's super aware of his, how he blew it. And what do we have in John's gospel? In John's gospel, we have this wonderful restoration. We have this wonderful restoration of Peter where Jesus says, hey, do you love me? And feed my sheep. He says it three times, kind of re-bringing Peter through the pain of his own three-time denial of Jesus. But then when it's time for the opening day of church, who does God use to get this thing on fire? Peter. He's been sifted through. So when we open to Acts 2, we see Peter's the one who's preaching this wonderful news about the gospel. It says that they were cut to the quick and 3,000 were added to their number. And then what's really cool is several years after that, when Peter is writing to some Christians who are persecuted in Rome, this is his reflection on trial. This is a reflection on suffering. This is his reflection. Listen, this is from 1 Peter. He says this. He says, hey, in God's salvation, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Wow. Isn't that a great perspective on suffering? He said, look, guys, what's more important even than your comfort right now, and mind you, he's writing to a church in Rome where people are dying because of their faith. It's not just like they're slightly uncomfortable, but people are being killed for saying yes to we follow Jesus. And Peter's words are, these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. And a little bit later in this same, le- this same letter, this is kind of a word I think for us today, as he says in 1 Peter 4, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now listen, I don't know exactly why or exactly who is the author of every just overwhelmingly bizarre thing, strange thing, crazy thing, trial that's going on in your life. But the one thing that I know is that God is committed to your soul. He's committed to your character. He's committed to refining us. And gosh, a thousand degrees Celsius is pretty hot. I'll tell you that when I think about the pressure that God puts on my life at times, I think, God, I'm going to break. I think God says, yay. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to break you. Let me do it so we can get this, the crap out and have you have your soul be mature and have your character be stable and have your faith persevere. And I just guarantee that is what God is doing in your life. So that first thing, as far as what I want to draw from the scripture, as far as trials is, you, your, your trials are not without purpose. There is a purpose to your trials. God is relentlessly after your character. You can just bank on it. And a lot of times there are hard issues that God's trying to deal with. Like Peter, he had too much pride. When I think about Kelsey and I met doing Young Life, I remember thinking, I wouldn't say this like I'll, I wouldn't have written this down, but I, you know, I remember thinking, God, I'm doing you a favor. I'm, we're going to do Young Life here because I'm teaching this public school. There is not a Christian thing going on for a city of 80,000 people. We're going to help youth do something. We're going to get something fired up for youth, thinking, God, I'm going to do a favor for you. you know, I'm going to do this thing for God. But when I look back on those four or five years that we did Young Life, as far as my own soul, I think what God was doing was refining the behoodlies out of me, okay? I had so much anger towards the school system because of how, um, how just secular it was, frankly, and how hard it was to be a follower of Jesus. I had so much bitterness towards my colleagues, and God had to deal with that. I think, you know, it's a miracle of, of some of the youth that we invested in. It actually is really a reward, but it really is only the hand of God. We have several of them who are actually involved in our movement of churches. Actually, one of them is now the youth pastor at the river. But it really is by the grace of God, because another thing that God brought up in me was I was just so dang driven for this thing. I, I think I repelled some of our believing students because I was so driven for we've got to, you know, more kids got to know Jesus, you know? And I think some of them may have felt like just a tool or a cog in the, in the machine of Neil's vision for seeing, you know, Newton change for Jesus, you know? So God refines us. He gets after our, our stuff. The second thing that we gather from the scripture regarding trials is, is that we are not alone. You are not alone. Verse 7, awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me. God the Father took the sword to the one who is close to him. He was willing to take the sword to Jesus. So when I'm sitting here sharing that, hey, there's a purpose in your trials, the good news is, is that God didn't just say, hey, I'm going to mature you, and you're going to be matured through trials, and um, I won't come near you. It's the opposite. Jesus underwent the very same trials as you and me. 
Scripture testifies to it. I think I mentioned in the beginning, right? The writer of Hebrews said this. He said um, that Jesus himself had to learn obedience through what? Through suffering. Okay, we have a king who's gone through it all. What else did the writer of Hebrews say? He said, uh, he said a lot of cool things, including because he himself suffered and he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that great? When you're tempted, you got Jesus who's able to help you. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Okay, you're not alone in your trials. And this needs to become a reality for you, okay, that you are not alone in your trials. It just needs to become reality. And so we say, Lord, help it to become reality. You're not alone. Isaiah 53.10 said this, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was the Lord's will to crush him. Okay, I don't know. That just uh, that doesn't always fit in my theology, right? I don't know if it fits in yours. It was the Lord's will to crush Jesus. But it was. And I think sometimes it is the Lord's will, or he allows for us to be crushed because it's our faith, it's our maturity, it's our character that's more important than anything else. It's funny how they mention two-thirds and one-third. I was thinking about that. And outside of the original context, like, yes, two-thirds were destroyed, a third went to, to Babylon. You know, when I was reading that, I thought, God, your way really is narrow. I think the issue today is who is going to submit to the refining fire? At least that's the question for me. I find myself praying this morning as we were praying together. I said, Lord, help me to submit to your refining fire. Let me not be a part of the two-thirds that doesn't even get to be refined. I want to be a part of the third that gets to be refined. But Lord, so often I dig in my heels and I don't cooperate with all that you're wanting to do. Lord, have mercy on me. When you put the heat and pressure on my life to bring out the crap so you can get rid of it, God, let me cooperate. Let that be your heart cry also. So about this craziness that goes on, there is a purpose. You're not alone. And the third thing is, what is the whole purpose? Like, what is the goal? It's this last part of nine. It says, they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is our God. The end result of, rela- of, of um, the trial is relationship with God. It's increased intimacy with him, okay? If you're looking at the sticky, we're, we're, what I'm, you know, in our culture, we are in our language, we have this image, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? That's what we say. What I believe this passage is saying to us is, hey, at the end of every trial tunnel, there is the light of relationship, okay? At the end of every trial that you're in, The goal is relationship and increased intimacy with Jesus. It's what you want, and it's what he is worthy of, okay? It's what you want, and it's what he is worthy of. Because Jesus is worthy of a bride that's totally in love with him and wants to follow him. I just, you know, I think of all the marriages that I've had the privilege of being a part of. Let's see, I think the last one in this house was Tim and Christine. So imagine, you know, I get this great perspective up there. Tim's here. Christine comes down the aisle. Imagine if Christine was coming down the aisle. She says, hey, Tim, I'm kind of into you. There's a few other guys I want to keep on the side. Um, You know, okay, you know, yes for now, you know. You know, what's Tim's response? There's a reason in the vows we say forsaking all others, right? That was a part of their vows, forsaking all others. Well, listen, Jesus has put the heat and pressure of trial 
on your life and on my life. So when we get to that great marriage, we're going to say, I really have forsaken all others, right? I want you alone, Jesus. You're worthy of this relationship. You're my God, and you're the only God I really, really want. I remember, and I just asked the Lord, Lord, remind me of a time when I felt like the heat and pressure was so intense, but the intimacy was really sweet. And immediately I got transported to my freshman year of college, I remember after a particular Sunday service being incredibly aware of my own pain, and the situation was just this. I, as an 18-year-old at college, I had seen so many healthy uh, people around me. I had seen you know, uh, peers of mine who came from really healthy families, and so they were encouraged, like they knew what they were going to do. Actually, one of them I'm thinking right now, one of them, so, you know, just a great guy on my floor. He is now pastoring a huge church in Houston. He's written several books. He's got his Ph.D., but so this guy and other guys like him around me, I just saw how secure they were, and uh, I just had to have a moment of grief, grieving over the fact that, man, I didn't have the same, the same experience growing up. So after church, I went to this practice room, one of the music practice rooms, and I just sat down with God, and I said, God, I am sad. I am really sad right now, because I see the good that some of these other guys have and, and how it makes them able to know what they're doing, where they're going. There's just this security there that I... I'm, I'm envious of. And so I just had a, a, a several-hour moment in the afternoon where I just said, God, my heart is so sad. I just have to grieve this out with you because I'm sad. But it's in that moment that I experienced such intimacy with the Lord as I'd never had before. And as I said, even recalling 20 years later, God, show me a time when the presence of the Lord was sweet and yet the trial fire was too, too much. That's what came to mind. I think of my leader of my freshman, when I was a freshman in college, same year, the leader of my small group was a girl named Dana Curry. Dana Curry wanted nothing else but to share the Lord with other peoples. She ended up in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, she shares the Lord. She gets taken by the Taliban police, and she ends up being a prisoner in the Taliban prison for about 90 to 100 days. She's written a book called Prisoners of Hope. I encourage you to read it. But in that book and in her own testimony, one of the things that she shares was there has never been a time of intimacy with the Jesus, with the Lord, as when she was in the Taliban prison cell, day after day, just worshiping the Lord in the darkness, in the grossness, in the mice and filth and junk. But she just says, I have never had a moment of such intimacy as that. That's the promise you have during trial, that if there is a purpose, God's refining you, and that he won't leave you alone, and that the end goal is relationship. That's what he wants. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I just have three little helps for, for trial, though. Those last kind of three REs there, and I want to go over these. So you're in a trial. Things don't make sense. You're wondering what's going on. Three things here. Number one, readjust. Okay, number one is readjust. Everyone say readjust. All right, the first thing is you need to readjust. We just need to ask the Lord to interpret the trial for you. Say, Lord, what are you trying to do? Is this a, a refining thing? You know, again, whether it's caused by someone else's sin towards you or your own sin, whether it's external or internal, just say, Lord, what are you trying to do here? What, what is it that you're highlighting in me? Just ask him. He'll speak. What is, the, what is the impurity in my life that you're trying to get at? Let me know. Readjust. The second thing is repent. Everyone say repent. Okay, you and I have a tendency, and that is just to whine and complain. Uh, maybe it's just me. But our tendency is to whine and complain. And listen, you're not condemned in, your, in the trial. It's okay that it's painful. But it's some, when I say repent, repent means to turn. And somewhere in there, you've got to turn towards the Lord in it, okay? 
If you don't turn towards the Lord, you're going to stay in your whining and complaining, and you're also not going to mature. But you've got to repent. It's okay, Lord, I'm turning towards you in this trial. Okay? So readjust, repent. Third thing is rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Okay? If you have nothing else to rejoice in, you can at least rejoice in the fact that the Lord has gone before you and he's with you in it. All right? You can rejoice in the trial. And it is one of those things that it's amazing where, where Scripture gives you permission to rejoice, so you can rejoice in the trial. Say, Lord, I just choose to rejoice here. This is hard, but you're after something for me, with me. Amen? So readjust, repent, rejoice. Watch what God will do. You guys stand with me. Hey, God's strong. We're weak, but he's strong. Isn't that the good news? Lord, thank you. We're weak. You're strong. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that in telling us about Jesus' purposes, one of the things you said was that he came as a refiner's fire. That's what Isaiah said. And here it is in Zechariah. The Lord, you came. And for those of us who will, those of us who do go through the narrow gate, those of us who cooperate with the Holy Spirit, that you want to refine us as gold and silver. You want to purify us. And the reason is that we can have relationship with you. So even right now, God, I'm just asking Holy Spirit that you'd speak to every trial, uh, speak to every situation, everything that doesn't make sense in our lives. Speak to it. Lord, help us to readjust. Let us know what it is you're after. Please let it not remain shrouded in mystery. Spirit, illuminate it to us. What are you after? Lord, your loving kindness leads us to repentance. So Lord, I pray, uh, lead us to repentance. This is only you can. And Lord, we ask for grace to rejoice. James talked about it. Lord, I pray that truly we could consider it all joy when we face different trials because we know that you're after something that's going to last forever. Instead of the temporary comfort that we desire you after a character that's going to last for eternity. God, give us that perspective, we pray. As we enter into a time of responding, I just want to share with you some of the things that the prayer team saw. One was that God was imparting a deep joy and a deep peace in this season. This season is particular difficult, particularly difficult for you. Just know the Lord wants to impart to you a deep joy and a deep peace, a manifest joy and a manifest peace. Another word we had was that um, someone was in such despair, almost to suicide, that God wanted to give you hope today. If that's you, please don't delay and let us pray for you. Another word was that. Um, <clears throat> God wanted to impart fresh passion for Jesus today. If you're here and feeling like there's not a whole lot going on between you and the Lord, Song of Solomon has this great exchange between the beloved and the lover. And the beloved says, set me like a seal on your arm. Set me like a seal on your heart. Love is as strong as death. Even, you know, waters cannot quench it. The fires of love. And if you hear that kind of language and say, yes, I want that kind of passion for Jesus, then let us pray for you. 
Then finally, a few physical words. One was for a right ear, the other for heart palpitations, and lastly, one for cancer. So if you are in proxy, you want to get prayed for, for someone else, please don't delay. Our prayer team's here. I'm going to pray with you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Please just do the work that only you can do. Thank you for the trials. Everyone say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for the trials. God, thank you that you're after something bigger than we can ask or imagine. So we love you. Come be present, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't delay. Get prayer from your neighbors, from, your, from the prayer team.